1: Welcome to Blue Mountain Village Voices.
2: A welcome to our co-host today, Jim Torrance. Jim is the chair of the Blue Mountain Ratepayers Association. And joining us for a great discussion today is Sean Everett, CAO of the Town of Blue Mountains. Hello, gentlemen.
0: Hello. Hello.
2: I always like to start by asking our uh, interviewees to tell us a little bit about yourselves and your history of the Town of Blue Mountains. So, Jim, why don't we start with you? Like a lot of folks, I've moved up here from the GTA about six years
0: ago, uh, haven't regretted a minute uh, that decision and decided that getting involved with my new community was something I, I wanted to pursue and uh, became aware of the Ratepayers and and joined in about five years ago. And I've been president for
2: a few years now. Excellent. And quickly, the Ratepayers Association, tell us a little bit about it. What does it do? Sure.
0: Our role basically is to advocate um, with town staff and town council on behalf of our members. We have a mailing list of about 450 people. And I would say that primarily our focuses are on finance, planning, and infrastructure as sort of the primary buckets with growing interest in county-related issues.
2: For sure, for sure. Yeah, you've, you've done some great deputations at the county and municipal level, and you bring really great research with lots of your homework done. So I always enjoy when we uh, get to read your position papers and hear you in action. Sean, I know for a fact that you are probably one of of a few people in our community who have a deep, deep local roots, but tell us a little bit about uh, yourself and and your connection to the town.
1: Uh, Thank you, Andrew. I've uh, been here at the town since uh, 1993, so I'm not a local, um, but I have been here for almost 30 years.
2: Uh, I think that's local territory now.
1: Yeah, hopefully. So yeah, I I came here just as the new uh, Beaver Valley Arena was being constructed and uh, first came here as the manager of of the arena. And then just over the years, I've been extremely fortunate to be able to be surrounded by really great uh, people at the town. And I uh, went from uh, manager of the facility to uh, director of recreation, then through director of community services, and then most recently between acting CAO and term CAO and, and now full-time CAO for the last uh, almost four years.
2: Yeah, you've done a great job. I think your career path has followed a lot of uh, folks here in the community where they have deep knowledge of the operations, uh, over time working in a lot of different aspects of businesses. And then you end up in the, uh, the leadership position. We've seen that in the resort communities and, and many others. So it's a great career path, isn't it?
1: I would say that the
2: background in the community services,
1: uh, has allowed me to really understand, uh, the urban area, rural area. And I would also say just building the relationships, um, you know, having those, uh, uh, people that uh, you can reach out to get a good understanding and, and at the end of the day just you know be a face that people recognize and be able to uh, uh to come forward with, with good ideas and it's one of the nicest place you could ever think of of living uh coming from southampton it's amazing how southampton and town of blue mountains i guess southampton now soggy shores uh they're very very similar being able to live uh With the natural amenities that we have, it's awesome. So I live here, I've been here for 30 years, live in town, and uh, wouldn't change a thing.
2: Yeah, we're all very lucky, aren't we? Yes. All right, let's jump right into it. Thank you both for joining us today. So I'm going to kick us off, and then I'm going to pass it over to Jim. But first and foremost, Sean, with uh, a new council recently elected uh, here in the town of the Blue Mountains... You know, I wonder if you could talk to us a little bit about what are some of the things that the staff does to prepare and develop new relationships and protocols with a newly elected council? What is that like on, on the inside? So it's it's pretty interesting. We're really excited with the group that we have. The last
1: term of council was, they're a very innovative and creative group. Um, and the last term of council was, uh, if you recall, it's uh, seven members. Uh, we're all new. So this time, we've got four members that, that are new, and one of those members is returning from a pre, from previous terms of council. So from the internal side, uh, there's a lot of work. We try to provide as much orientation as we can without overwhelming council. Um, so last week, uh, we, were, we were actually at Gray County doing two days of orientation with all of our council. The nice thing is it was a great opportunity for our councils to council members to understand and meet the other councillors from the other municipalities. So uh, we've got over the next two and a half uh, months, uh, quite a few orientation sessions with our council and a lot of good work, but really just getting them to a point where, you know, they're comfortable with process and procedures and a good understanding of uh, not only the work that we've done in previous councils, but sort of looking at the priorities with the next four years. One thing that I really was impressed uh, with this term of council was uh, Mayor Mattrasos and myself had the opportunity to meet with uh, uh, council members one-on-one and, and really got a good understanding of where priorities were um, and just a good chance to sort of start that relationship. So something that hadn't been done in the past, which I saw uh, huge benefits in uh, creating that first piece of our relationship moving forward.
2: Absolutely. And it's it's a, always a great forum to sort of learn a little bit about each counselor, what some of the priorities that they see, and then builds that teamwork too, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. And also really, really allowed us to get a good understanding of what they heard through the election and what their priorities were or are. And uh, so moving forward, we can get some good alignment on on
2: priorities. For sure. A lot of industries, if you will, I often think of a council as like a corporation. It is. You do regular member surveys or customer surveys. You get a bit of information. But when you're doing an election, I mean, you're really out there. You're hearing from so many people <laughs> door to door. And so it's a great opportunity to harness all that information that everyone's collected, and doing it right away is a good idea because you retain it all and you can sort of put it to action. Yeah,
1: yeah, very, yeah, it was very fresh on their minds. Yeah.
0: yeah, you know, the benefit of having a fresh set of eyes, I think, is is always positive. And in that regard, we know that fully half of the positions on the county council are new to to their chairs uh, with this term as well. And acknowledging that there were some challenges, I think, in the past with the county relationship uh, in our town. What are your thoughts on the opportunities that we may have with regard to the county relationship and, and uh, working effectively with the county?
1: Yeah, I, I think there's great opportunity. And, you know, I think over the last number of years, uh, there's always been a strong relationship at a staff level with the county, which, you know, we've, we've worked uh, really hard at, at maintaining with the new members of council, county council, I just think there's a really good opportunity there to be able to build relationships and really be able to, you know, help identify we are we are different. We are a bit unique in, the, in Gray County, but at the end of the day, we want to be part of the process and uh, really want everybody to be able to identify, you know, we are unique, but every single one of those municipalities are a little bit different and uh, respect that. And at the end of the day, the win will be if we can get the best deal and the most out of the county and and others can do the same. I think at the end of the day, it's, a, it's good for everybody.
2: Are there a couple of items at that county level where you see there's a lot of alignment across all of those communities? Like, are there a couple of points that jump out to go, yeah, we're all pretty aligned on the following? Well, I think it's one of the
1: big ones right off the bat was Bill 23. And, and that's You know, I think we're going to talk a little bit more about Bill 23, but you know, we were very quick to act and had a lot of support from the county where we were able to get uh, the two MPPs, Mr. Byers and Mr. Saunderson, uh, into a meeting uh, with the county and the town early on in that so we're very very in a very collaborative mode with bill 23 i think the other piece is just transportation mm-hmm. you know having a good collaborative approach with transportation we've made great strides and a lot of it is with the great work that uh team is is doing behind the scenes where you know let's just do a very comprehensive transportation review to make sure that let's say gray road 19 what's it going to be like in the next 10 years? And there's there's a couple roundabouts that they're planning. We just want to make sure that when we're doing it, you know, it makes sense. And so, for instance, something like uh, Blue Mountain Resorts, you know, we want to make sure that if there are a couple of roundabouts and some significant work, we're looking at it, let's plan it so we limit the duration of the disturbance. And rather than, you know, do this over three or four years, If there's a way that we can limit that and get it done in a shorter amount of time, it's probably better for all of us. And we can't do that without having that good relationship with the county.
0: John, one of the points that we've pressed with the county is the idea that the growth that we're experiencing as a town, which is higher than the rest of the county, benefits the county pretty broadly but that we need support, we need investment to ensure that that growth, in fact, is is supportable. Do you get the sense that that message is registering to some extent at County Council?
1: Yeah, I I think it is. And I think the reality is, again, people are understanding. I know at the staff level, there's a good understanding that projects are probably more expensive to get done in the Blue Mountains as well. Just when you take a look at, I'm going to say, Gray Road 19 and a potential 4 laning there's not a lot of other municipalities within gray county for the exception of maybe oh, only sound that are looking at you know what was once called a a county road being a four lane let alone you know two or three additional roundabouts so there's a good understanding of that uh, the other reality is you know to do these work the cost of land is, is significantly more in the town of blue mountains as well so the county I can't say enough good things about working with the county because I think over the last three or four years, we've got a very, very good relationship. We have a better understanding now of what is being proposed. And, you know, I think of the Gray Road 19 and 21 roundabout, I think between County Simcoe, County Gray, Town of Collingwood, and and the, uh, the Blue Mountains, I think we all have a very good understanding of, you know, what that process looks like. And at the end of the day, let's make sure it functions well. Uh, and it's not an afterthought.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And it's hard sometimes when you're in that zone where you're debating, is this the right solution? Who should be paying? And then, you know, eventually it's needed and you spend, I think sometimes more time upfront. And what you're saying is the details of it matter and need that focus, how it's going to be designed, how it's going to be functioning, right? You got to get there.
1: Yeah. It has to be done in a very effective, in my, in my mind just has to be done in, in a more timely fashion. We're talking You know, we probably started talking about it around at Mountain Road in 19 and 21, probably in 2000, I'm going to say 12, 13.
2: Yeah, it's funny because I am hearing a lot of uh, some similar feedback in the sort of Blue Mountain Village community. Certainly a desire to see things that are development related uh, happen quicker or to see changes implemented quicker. And I think that, you know, we all, you know, you're always balancing those expectations with the realities of, you know, what's possible and when. But I think that's a trend we're seeing across the board, isn't it? People wanting to see faster action from a municipal perspective. What are the real challenges in making that happen?
1: So I think one of the challenges that I've seen, and I've seen it over the last probably 15 to 20 years, a lot of the developments that we have on the books, many people think they're new developments, but they're not. They've been on the books 15, 20 years. And, you know, over the course of time, there'll be modifications and revisions, and you never really notice them until you see the excavators and, mm-hmm. the, and, and the land being cleared. So selfishly, from the municipality's perspective, I think that's where we're, full disclosure, a little bit reactive. And we, we spend a lot of time and effort on our new website where we've developed these new development pages. So every development in the Blue Mountains has a project page that gives you the history. They're
2: great actually. I've spent some time through them. They are a great resource.
1: They they I think they provide good information and it really puts it in context that, you know, these things aren't new and over the course of time they may have different owners. There may be different concepts, but the goal was to make sure they they were available to the public where if all of a sudden you saw a development taking place, gives you a bit of an opportunity to go and say okay, so what's this going to be? We still have lots of work to do on that. But it was a first great step where, you know, at the end of the day, it's something that we can point uh, residents to and say, if you want some high level information, go to those pages. So
2: Jim, what do you think? I mean, you're the voice of the of the residential community and and the ratepayers, if you will. What's your sense of the of the drive to see things quicker and what could help get things moving a little a little more efficiently?
0: The idea of a sense of urgency, I think, certainly has taken root here. And it probably relates to we're seeing the growth, which we know is going to continue. And we also know that infrastructure is a challenge in terms of being able to get it created to support that. So I think the feeling is with both the, the amount of work that's got to be done for infrastructure and inflationary pressure, the sense is, yeah, we want to see decisions made faster. Uh, you know, I hate to come back to the parking lot example in Tharbury, but it did feel as though that decision and the whole process took a long time to come to fruition. I think people are looking for, I think, maybe a greater sense of urgency and making decisions more quickly mm-hmm. as a way to try to, to, to move forward in areas that we need to make progress. Yeah,
2: I think that's probably something any organization or group or municipality is trying to figure out. How can we improve decision-making processes so that we are mitigating risk and advancing forward. And yeah, it's tough. My theory is that over the last few years, especially as we all react to COVID-19 and the pandemic and the impacts, I think there is a greater urgency around some of the impatience, but also an imperative for us to switch our, our models too, right? It's kind of, they're both happening at the same time.
0: Yeah. And I would, I would just add too, that there's so much work going on across the town. It's impossible for people to be able to stay on top of everything, but we're encouraging uh, council and staff to focus on what are the top five or six priorities that we know are critical to the town's future and just keep the town uh, residents informed in terms of progress that we're making, hitting timelines, hitting budget numbers, just because I think, that allows us to better understand the priorities that mm-hmm. John had been mentioning. You know, are being clarified with the new council. Yeah, and and can give residents a sense of you know how we're we're moving forward in those areas. Right. So critical.
2: Yeah. Well, and I think that's a great segue, Jim, into some of the most recent survey, the town satisfaction survey that was recently uh, deployed. And uh, we've got a few questions. I think we're going to dive into some of that prioritization and a few other things. So let me kick it off. There was a really great stat from the satisfaction survey, which showed that just a little more than 90% of those who took the survey uh, provided a high satisfaction rating in terms of living in the town. So very satisfied with their experience being a resident. What do you think, Sean, drives that high score?
1: I think it's just a great place to live. Um, and I think the services that we provide, we 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 have a good level of what I would call core services. I think over the last number of years, we've sort of... Maybe jumped into other areas that may not be core services, but have answered the call to uh, residents' requests. And what's not to like? Like you're on the you're on the water, and you've got the mountain. Uh, you've got lots of trails and open space. So I think generally people are are satisfied. I think one of the things that you know the survey told us was, as as good of a, as a result it was, we still only had about three hundred and just over three hundred fifty. Uh, take the first part of the uh, the survey which was more about the citizen satisfaction and then that reduced down to about 150 for the second which was more infrastructure related we do think that people maybe got surveyed out because we we've done a number of them so we're we're learning from that but i think the other thing that we've we've done a pretty good job of is the way we do our surveys give the people the opportunity to let us know what part of the town they're actually uh, living and this one in particular, there was a strong percentage of the respondents came from the Thornbury area. So uh, that's something that we're always being mindful of. of uh, we find very good information when we're looking at the results because it really allows us to sort of get an idea of maybe the comments were skewed a bit in certain areas. Yeah. But uh, at the end of the day, you know, fire services came out loud and clear. And that people were very satisfied with that, and we know going forward with the fire services, we've got some challenges with with being able to keep those numbers from our uh, volunteers up. But overall, yeah, we're really satisfied. We're we're happy with the results and trying to have a real keen focus on those areas that need improvement of uh, working with council to get a, a good plan of how we how we do better.
2: Yeah, I was a uh, I was, I saw those splits in the survey, and I think if you combine the sort of Blue Mountain Village and Craigleith respondents, it was about 30% of the respondents came from that sort of general area, yeah. east end of town. I actually thought that was a that was a win. I think that was more participation perhaps right. than in the past, in, in my opinion anyway. Yeah. I, I haven't compared all the surveys, but I thought you guys did a good job of broadening the scope. It's never perfect, but when you make iterative change, it's good. Mm-hmm. How about you, Jim? What, what's your sense on that uh, That 90% yeah, score? I, you know, I think it's a good one.
0: Yeah, I, I think it's, it's really... Uh, quite reassuring to see that there's that level of satisfaction. You think about the last couple of years we've all lived through the pandemic, now inflation, it'd be easy for people to turn to the negative. I think it reflects the fact that there's a shared sense of what's important to the town in terms of livability, protection of the environment. And I think too, people get the sense that our town council and town staff share an understanding of what we're, you know, the kind of community we want to be in the future and are applying best efforts to try to to, to get us there. So I, I do get the feeling that there's kind of a shared perspective of why this is such a great place to live and a desire to see it maintained.
2: Yeah, and some good alignment on some of those priorities, yeah.
0: In the survey, I think the a couple of things that we're seeing as being really important, not surprisingly. One is affordability in mm-hmm. housing and the other is the whole uh, question of managing growth. So with those two pretty significant challenges facing us, Bill 23 now comes from the province just to add a, a, another degree of complexity. How do you see uh, Bill 23 in terms of its impact in terms of the town's development planning uh,
1: and infrastructure financing? So Bill 23 it has a it has a multiple, you know, range of of impact, some of them good and, and some of them not so good. So I'd say bill 23, one of the biggest impacts that we're looking at is the, you know, the whole wave of the DCs, DCs being the development charges. And, you know, the town has always been a big proponent. I think three or four terms of council ago made it very clear development pays for development, which I think, I think that's the smart thing. Uh, and smart philosophy, what bill 23, we see as a bit of a, a miss to date, is there needs to be a better description of what attainable affordable is. So right now they're looking at 80% of the market value. And realistically, that's that's a $950,000 house yeah. in the Blue Mountains. And I think we would all agree that that's not affordable or attainable. So looking at Bill 23, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the town has, has been very active and we were successful in, in being able to make a presentation. Councillor Sampson at the time made a presentation to the standing committee. on on behalf of the town and just identify some of the areas of our biggest concern. I think one of the key things is just trying to keep a definition, a clear definition that I'm throwing the number around uh, myself of around that $500,000 is is something that should be, if you're going to get a wave uh, reduction of of development charges, to me, that $500,000 range is something that we should be looking at to be able to get the range of stock here. Yeah. So for the Blue Mountains, Development's not an issue. We're building like crazy. We're the second fastest growing community in Canada as, as far as the census. It's just creating a different range of stock for those people who, who are living or working here, being able to, to live here. One of the biggest successes, of I think, out of the standing committee in the comments, you know, Bill 23, what, what was released was uh, originally they were going to remove the ability for third-party appeals. And what was released last week when after the third reading was that those third-party appeals are back in. So people can be a third-party appeal to those. So uh, that was one of our big concerns uh, about people losing that ability. So Bill 23, there's a lot to it. We're really interested in seeing the legislation come out and some of the guidelines uh, coming out. Probably going to see lots of reports coming from staff as updates to council. Uh, in regards to what we learn, it's, uh, we've talked to a lot of really good people and it seems like right now the sentiment is it's a little bit early to understand what bill 23 actually means, but, uh, it's happening fast and furious. That's for sure.
2: Which means you gotta, you gotta adapt. And so I'm curious because I think where you're going with trying to assess those definitions, And make sure that the benefits of Bill 23 are that it can help provide more housing and a more wide range of housing. It has to have a bit more of a tighter framework around it in that category. Do you see at this stage a mechanism that the town can implement that will ensure that that's the case if Bill 23 is a bit broad right now? Is that clear yet? Or
1: I would say, Andrew, it's not totally clear. I would say that. One of the big concerns that we have is, is being able to accommodate the growth. And I say that from the frame uh, standpoint of servicing, both water and, and wastewater. So those are ones that uh, that we are actively working on because there are some nuances to Bill 23 that, you know, they've identified allowance of a third unit. That has a significant impact to our, our projections for our serviceability. We are very, very active in, in mm-hmm. looking at those numbers. Because at the end of the day, if somebody's coming forward with, you know, a development that adds a range, we want to be able to actively move that process forward and and make sure they can move forward as opposed to other allocations being eaten up by some of the developments that we are already seeing in place. Yeah.
0: And you mentioned working more closely with the county generally, specifically with regard to Bill 23. I know that you done work with the county, trying to prepare responses. What is your sense in terms of how the county could support uh, our efforts to push the housing going forward?
1: I think the big thing there, Jim, is just coming up with a consistent definition. Because quite frankly, I think the de- definition should be the same whether or not you're in Southgate, whether or not you're in Chatsworth or Meaford or wherever. I think the definitions are going to be a vital aspect so we can test what people are selling. The Mm -hmm. other thing that we were very mindful of is we want to make sure that the province is considering the tools that protect that attainability after the first purchase. Mm -hmm. If the first homeowner can buy a house for say $400,000, we have to make sure the tools are in place that that homeowner can't then you know, a year later, sell it for seven hundred. Yeah, right. To me, those are the those are the pieces where, I, quite frankly, in the short term, that's why I really think that the rental stock is the answer. Yeah, because you can have some more controls. I know there's the whole you know landlord tenant piece, but the the rental stock is something that a town of blue mountains doesn't have. And I mean long term rentals. We have lots of short term rentals, but those long term rentals, I think, that is a stock that we're we're hugely deficient in. Mm-hmm. And having that protection where that long-term rental stays long-term rental, and doesn't just flip into something that is a weekend a weekend uh, rental.
2: Yeah, or becomes a short-term rental, or a, yeah, yeah, yeah. And you
0: know, we're talking about the, I guess, the void to a large extent of of long-term rental, if. Uh, also brings us back to considering Gateway. And just wondered if, if you could provide an update just in terms of how that process currently stands and what we can expect to see in here over the next um, six to nine months.
1: Yeah, so the Gateway project for the Attainable Housing Corporation, that's probably a, a question best posed to the Attainable Housing Corporation itself. From a town perspective, we're excited about it. We're excited to see uh, that project move forward because, you know, at the end of the day, we're talking rental stock and uh, we purchased that piece of property a few years ago now we really like to see that project get off the ground because we do believe uh, the town is currently working on the what we call the 125 Peel Street community campus of care so between those two projects we believe that there's a great opportunity for a significant amount of rental stock being brought into the town that doesn't currently exist uh, you know, i mentioned earlier 30 years ago i moved to the town of Blue Mountains and for the first year i lived i lived in a trailer because there wasn't the rental stock 30 years ago. Uh, I think it's the same thing now. It's just, it's probably harder to even uh, find something. And quite frankly, it's going to take those individuals, I think those special individuals or special interest groups to be able to bring something forward that incentivizes the attainability. Because it's easy to build what we're building today. it yeah. making that shift into something different, that really provides that long-term sustainability for the attainability.
2: Yeah. It's not one of those challenges that gets fixed overnight, but the evolution and keeping the work on it is what's important. How do you feel? I know one of the things that we heard through the election campaign was that the official plan review project would help create some more definitions. And as well that the town was considering, or I guess counselors running for election were proposing that the town could create its own attainable housing strategy alongside that to help, you know, set a bit more clear course on that front. Do you think that those efforts might be sidelined by Bill 23? Or do you think they'll be maybe enhanced because of Bill 23?
1: I think they'd be enhanced. Yeah, I think it's critical that, you know, the work get done. It's more important than ever uh, just to be able to work within Bill 23 and making sure that Bill 23 doesn't influence the character. But I also think, you know, the official plan, it's the most important document that the town can have and really sets the tone of, and I'm going to go as far as to say the multitude of characters that could exist in the Blue Mountains, because they think we are. We often hear we're communities of communities. And that has to be reflected. But, you know, through this podcast, I guess one of the the requests from me as CAO would be citizen engagement. The official plan will never reflect the community if we can't get a good, wholesome range of community engagement. Mm -hmm. And uh, nothing wrong with the existing official plan because those individuals who wanted to take part, took part. I just think over the years, I've heard lots of people come to council and talk about character this is the opportunity through the official plan to identify what is the character and the character in Thornberry may be different, maybe the same as Craig Leith, but the character in Ravana may be different than Thornberry. And yeah. I just, we're really trying to focus on that community engagement. So when we do that official plan, it reflects what the community wants. And, you know, there's lots of discussion around height and density Yeah, and, uh, you know, self-admittedly, One of the things that I asked staff to bring forward when we brought the official plan forward was not to actually identify where potential height would would be. If I had to do it over again, I, I would have asked staff to be a little bit more recommending where these locations were. And I can tell you the reason the approach that I took was, you know, sometimes you put something out there and people think that that's what staff is saying. So that's it we were taking the approach that we actually wanted to enter into that discussion about, we think height is needed in certain mm-hmm. areas, but we don't want to identify where. Yeah,
2: And you were going to flesh it out in the phase three with all the different yeah, zones. Yeah,
1: I think without us doing it, then, then a lot of people thought, well, it means everywhere. And uh, from a staff perspective, I can tell you that staff d- does not believe that height is everywhere. We no. do believe that there may be pockets Within the town, that would make sense. So, we're always learning about how to bring these things. forward. I learned a lot through through this first phase of the the official plan because at the end of the day, uh, we just really want it to reflect what the community wants. Yeah.
0: yeah, and I think certainly the the core question, as I view it, is you know intensification versus sprawl, and how do you protect the natural environment? While at the same time accommodating that growth. And I think it it does then bring us to the question of intensification. What form does it take? You know, where does it happen? So to your point, we're looking forward to sort of the next steps with the official plan review so we can get clarity and I think kind of get everybody on the same page in terms of how we want to try to tackle yeah. those issues. Yeah.
2: yeah. And there are places around the world. I mean, we're not that unique actually as a destination type community. There's some great examples globally where they've pulled all of that together and 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 created something that reduces sprawl, increases density, and maintains character and functionality and and invests in it. So it's just, you know, you gotta, it takes time to to map that out. But I think you're right, Sean, the starting point is getting the whole community involved. My personal perspective is whenever you see a policy framework that looks a little too simple, it usually tells me that it doesn't have as wide uh, a consultation because usually when you include everyone's point of view, the end result is a bit broader, right? So that's a tell, but I'm glad you uh, provided a bit of uh, extra context there. I know one of the things in the survey that came forward was a bit of concerns about the labor supply and the economic impact. And, and I think we all know that the housing is, is a part of that. And, you know, the current Attainable Housing Corporation, as an example, when it was formed, it was an economic development initiative. That's sort of where its its genesis was. But I'm wondering from your perspective, are there other areas outside of housing where you think the municipality can play a role in the labor supply in the region or the the labor market?
1: I think the easy answer for me is just to be the champion of economic development and support it and work with our stakeholders to understand, you know, where we can help, whether it be working with the uh, agricultural area, you know, for a small municipality, for us to have, you know, those two companies, uh, MBTI and and, uh, Masaba, in regards to mining equipment and looking at their skilled trade requirements uh, and their needs. So I think it's just, You know, Tim Hendry and and Alan Gibbons uh, from our economic development team, they're doing some really good reach outs to those groups to figure out what we can do to help. And also, if there's areas that we can't, maybe we can sort of line them up to those different areas that could help and provide that assistance. But to your point, I still think one of the biggest issues goes back to the uh, lack of housing. Yeah. You know, just being able to have people live in close proximity. And, you know, we've been very, very lucky uh, to have a good partnership for the uh, Collingwood Transit Link. Uh, We see that it works in the Craigleith area. Craig County's transit system seems to be improving. And, you know, I'm, I'm very concerned about as we move forward with that. That five-year pilot is mm-hmm. going to come around pretty quick. And what's the answer to that
2: continuation? That's right. Especially um, when you see the numbers, because I just saw the recent numbers are growing at a good clip, but that means that you got to keep that going. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And and I think the majority of that funding is 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 grant funding. So uh, it's one of those things that, you know, transit, it's a hard thing to take away. You know, I think of Don Braden back in the day, bringing forward that transit idea And uh, I think we were looking at 750 passengers a a month and those numbers are just blown.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah. I think that the highest month we saw recently was over 40,000 rides. Yeah. So,
1: so yeah, I think for us, uh, you know, transit accommodation, uh, those are, those are the two things. And then the availability of those skilled trades.
0: Yeah. I I think as we, we talk about some of the pressures on the town, Invariably, uh, it comes back to inflation. I mean, if anybody goes to the grocery store these days or fills up their tank, they experience it firsthand. Given the inflation that we're facing, what are some of the approaches that you'd be considering in terms of service levels, how you go about actually staging infrastructure projects, et cetera? But how do you view the best opportunities for trying to deal with the inflation pressures that we've got?
1: So we're trying to be very creative, and and we've been able to recruit some exceptional staff over the last two three years that have sort of came came to the town with a different mindset. And you know, uh, the town typically years past would look like look at a number of smaller projects and tender them all out separately. And more recently, what we've seen is uh, in our operations team, uh, they've come up with this. Uh, you know, and we've seen great success where you take. These smaller projects, and you tender them into one bigger one, and, and we've seen great efficiencies with that. Rather than have contracts where equipment was being bought by that contractor, we're actually looking at now buying our own equipment and seeing some significant savings there. So I would say through COVID, and I'll put the Town of Blue Mountains up against any municipality. We were very nimble; but we never missed a beat. I think coming out of it, and especially with being able to get some fantastic staff coming in, they've been able to bring forward these different business plans that we're seeing real good success out of. The one that comes to mind is the Thornbury West and the Victoria Street uh, reconstruction. That is a product of taking three smaller projects and putting them into one. And I think that's one of our best projects that we've seen. Uh, Drake's Path is another one. You get that, so
2: many efficiencies that way.
1: It is. so. Uh, some new faces at the town, uh, some, some different backgrounds uh, that we've looked at, and I think those are the successes. It's not the answer to the inflation because it's something that, you know, everything that we do is, seems like it's cost so much more, but even more important to be able to have that process in place so we can be more efficient. We've got projects on the books that probably have pricing, and Thornberry Wastewater Treatment Plants is probably the best example. We're dealing with with prices that are probably 15 years old. And right. now we're coming back to council. Okay, we need more money. Well, this project was originally on the books, 2009, say, uh, and here we are moving forward with a phase one. Yeah, it's, it's expensive, but being able to get those works done much quicker, our corporate strategic plan in uh, in 2019 identified two philosophies that we wanted to work by. And that was plan to execute, and then early and often communication. So that plan to execute is was taking us out from a plan to plan mode yeah. into that plan to execute. And, and that's something that has served as well over the last few years.
2: I know part two of this survey was about uh, sort of an, an asset plan, creating your asset plan, uh, which I think is, is really critical. You talked about the valuations changing over a 15-year horizon. How what is the typical timeline of assessing asset values and repair costs? Do you do it over, is, it, is there like a municipal standard there or?
1: Yeah, everything has benchmarking from a yeah. from a standpoint of uh, 50 to 75 years sort of thing, right? So um, I can tell you, and not to go back to Bill 23, but Bill 23 affects our tangible capital asset big time because now something that we would normally look at growth related being development charge funded. If you don't have those, then it's going to be some other form, most likely taxation, uh, which that taxation would have been picking up sort of those replacement costs before. So our finance department as a requirement from the government had, had, had met the tangible capital asset uh, reporting uh, and plan, uh, something that we look at all the time. Um, and every every budget, It's it's such a key focus to us. But as the province makes some decisions, it really does affect. And when you heard a lot of the comments around Bill 23, a lot of it came around, but we worked so hard to do our tangible capital <laughs> asset and it was based on evaluation A. Now we yeah. got to go back and take a look. Yeah. At it. So
2: something as simple as the three potential suites in one property, you look at a town like ours that is so has a lot of uh, single detached homes. Suddenly that puts three times the drain on pump water or yeah. sewer. Or-
1: is that existing infrastructure? Size to be able to to handle that additional, yeah. Year. So,
0: and, and you mentioned the development charges being reduced, and I I don't know if there's absolute certainty or clarity in terms of just how that's going to happen, how you know what value development charges may be pulled out of the town of Blue Mountains, but is there still a question to be answered in terms of uh, would there potentially be a provincial source of funding to replace DCs? Is that sort of still on the table rather than having to come out of the municipal coffers
1: yeah there there was some correspondence that came out of the ministry of municipal affairs and housing last week that alluded to there being potential other funding but it's at a very high level It's mm-hmm. just that you know the suggestion that there would be so again bill 23 really early in the process to understand what it means but uh Uh, That letter coming from the province, Uh, I'm not going to say it was reassuring, but it was something that uh, at least they've acknowledged that if you remove the development charge revenue uh, stream, there's going to have to be some other revenue stream to, to cover that.
2: Yeah, I guess everyone would want to be reassured that that policy piece is set in stone already. And the fear is that, well, you know, once it's implemented, they don't have to do much. Yeah. But I guess that's the challenge for every municipality in Ontario is to work together to make sure that happens, yeah. right? I thought it was interesting. There was a there was a stat in the survey that talked about 50% of Town Blue Mountains survey respondents on the satisfaction survey sort of said that at that time, they felt this was pre-Bill 23, but they felt that at that time, increasing user fees might be a way to improve municipal finances. 50% actually suggested that are there enough municipal services to charge user fees on or what's your sense there? Is that, is that viable or how viable is it?
1: It's viable to a certain point. And that's something that every year through our budget process, we look at our user fees and there's such a range, you know, whether it be short-term accommodation, license fees, uh, whether it be community center user fees,
2: I think. Parking charges. Yeah.
1: All of those things. One of the areas that we're going to really focus on is the planning and development fees, uh, again, to sort of take that approach of does development pay for development and do do our planners and development engineers uh, and people and staff that deal with development, what is the percentage that they're actually getting covered by the developers? So um, just recently I did a, a report to council and got pre-approval or hopefully getting pre-approval on December the 12th to go forward with a full corporate structure organizational review which will also include the updated planning and development fees. A good portion of that will be the review of all of our fees, and that is in direct response to what we saw in the in the survey to package it all together. So so, yeah, it's going to be interesting. It was reassuring to see that fifty percent and acknowledge that the user fees were could be a viable. yeah, there's uh, an
2: opportunity there, yeah. Yeah, I would imagine that it's also challenging because you want to harmonize with your neighboring municipalities too. Sometimes, and so you don't want unintended consequences of where you're competing in the market. It's a tough time, isn't it? Yeah. to figure that out.
1: The other thing that you know we've resisted over the a, a number of years, well, as long as I can remember, you know, some municipalities go down the road of resident non-resident fees, and it it's something that you know we really first started getting into with the parking. But uh, like I can tell you, other municipalities in in Gray County. My daughter played hockey and uh for, for her to play hockey in Owen Sound, there was a resident fee. I think it was about $150 that we had to pay on top of anybody who would have lived in Owen Sound. You know, that hundred and fifty went to your you don't pay taxes in Owen Sound. So that 150 goes to the, the town.
2: So for the like the arenas and the stuff the like arenas, that. Yeah. yeah.
1: And and that was just for hockey. Yeah. Um, you know, if she played soccer there, it would be an additional. So it's something that we've resisted. Like I said, we first uh, got into that really more so with the parking. And the parking has been a success. You know, at the end of the day, I think people look at it and say, okay, so if I'm a resident, I, I get to park for free. And there's been lots of education that we've had to, that parking pass doesn't mean that you can park in a in front of a fire hydrant. <laughs> so we've we've gone through that over the last couple of years. And I think this year, I think, I think all said and done, we're going to be around the $280,000 uh, revenue from parking. So it seems to be working. And I think generally the residents appreciate the fact that, you know, if you've got the parking pass, if you're a resident.
2: And that's a great, what a a great way to raise some revenues to cover costs, keep things clean. And, um, and I'm sure there hasn't been that much uh, opposition to it for people who are, who are using it.
1: Yeah. I would say minimal. One thing it has identified is, you know, uh, it's opened up the discussion around parking, and uh, we desperately need more formalized parking in the rural area, so that's something that we are actively working on. And I think without going through that the parking exercise, people have been more attuned to. But if you're going to do parking, look at the rural area and some of the some of those naturalized and high traffic trail yeah. sections for parking opportunities. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, I think you know the resident non-resident perspective on on user fees is. You know it's relevant and important for our community because of the unique nature of how our commercial uh, sector works and the you know the huge numbers of tourists who we have coming up, which is good for the local economy, but it also puts strain on the local services and infrastructure. So getting a balance there uh, is, I think, an important opportunity in terms of helping to drive the revenue side.
2: The bottom line is when you offset those costs from the visitor. And the experience is better as a result, it actually strengthens the economy and the destination. So when you start to charge for those, you become a partner in offering services. It actually benefits the whole destination. But you, yeah, it's, I think it been a really good pilot that the, they did, like you said, about being nimble. That was in, deployed during COVID and it helped to manage traffic and raise revenues as needed. And it was yeah. very well executed. Yeah.
0: In talking service delivery, you know, the one aspect is demand and, and the kind of capacity. I wonder, the other side of the coin, are you looking at how we deliver services and seeing as we go mm. forward if there are opportunities to do it differently, to do it more
1: efficiently?
2: Technologies.
1: Yeah. So part of that report um, that I brought forward at the last committee of the poll that council will look at again in, at, on the 12th was that full corporate structure review and looking at are we built the way we need to be built as a corporation to deliver the services, but it will also give council and the community an opportunity to identify what our core services are and what they need to be. And then anything over and above that, you know, whether it's a nice to do, you know, let's finally get to a point where we're making a very clear decision on what are our priorities, what are the services that we're providing, and how are we supposed to be built to be able to provide those? So through covid I will say that we, we took on an absolute ton of work and I'm, I'm realizing now it's not sustainable. And what's a
2: shared thing, I think, across a lot of of organizations. Yeah.
1: And one thing that shocked me and I I shouldn't have been shocked because I have been here for 30 years, but the municipality has never done a full comprehensive structure review. We've done like one department, two department here, But uh, I had a gentleman a few years ago who had been in the municipal sector for a long time, and um, it shocked me when he said, you know, the biggest thing about the municipality world and public sector is we're becoming more and more like private sector. And if you're not reviewing your structure for at least every three to five years, you're not doing it enough. And so when I look at, you know, the length of time that we've operated without doing one, uh, it was time. The nice thing is council and the committee of the whole we're 100% supportive of it. Uh, a number of them said, way overdue. You know, Jim, to your point, I think it will finally give us an opportunity to to have that good consultation and figure out what is it we need to be good at and what is it that we're doing that maybe is already being duplicated. And then the other thing is, what can we be doing that maybe the county's already doing and then take a regional approach? Yeah, uh, You know, the South Georgian Bay region we've heard a lot about over the last three or four years and i see it as an opportunity of engaging with our partners in south georgian bay um you know andrew you mentioned you know the attainable housing strategy you know that'll be an opportunity missed if there's not some way that we can't collaboratively do that because what realistically what's the attainability in the blue mountains may be different than what is in me or Collingwood or Clearview or Wasaga Beach or Great Highlands. So, you know, really looking at that uh, opportunity to figure out where those collaboration yeah. uh, approaches could be it better is, done.
0: You know, I think municipal and county boundaries exist for political, you know, That's right. logical political reasons. But, you know, if they start getting in the way of opportunities to be more effective, then they're not working in anybody's interest. I would say, too, that Town residents recognize there's no free lunch, that if you're going to get more of a certain service, there's going to be more costs. that go. I think what we're looking for, as you're suggesting, is a a good open discussion about here are the kind of trade-offs that can be made and let people weigh in on what they value and what they they don't value. Yeah.
2: Yeah. The challenge for this council and everyone is going to be the urgency is there. And sometimes it's tempting to try to choose a quick win to demonstrate results as opposed to exploring things in a robust way to get that longer term vision. You know, in your role as CAO, how do you balance that? How do you balance that pressure for the the quick win versus the the longer term best win?
1: Yeah, we learned a lot through COVID.
2: Yeah, um, because,
1: you know, as much as I say that we were overwhelmed and, and you know, probably took on way too much than we should have. It also, for the first time, gave us the okay to say no. So being able to balance, we're far more strategic now after COVID than I think we ever were. And I think it, COVID's forced us to do that. COVID's forced us to do a lot. Like even three years ago, if you were to tell me that we would ever be in a position where eighty or ninety percent of our staff were working remotely, I, I would have thought, no, there's no way. Yeah. And you know, just seeing how fluid that we were able to do that. And something that, again, through this study that we're going to do, looking at the models, uh, because we know that there's models for four day work weeks. We know that there's models for working remotely. Um, So being able to be more creative and more innovative, I think, uh, will allow me in my role over the next uh, four or five years to be able to be more strategic and less reactive,
0: yeah. and that will help take pressure off the availability of office space as well, which I know is an issue more broadly in the town. Yeah, certainly a town hall as well. That's right. Yeah,
2: just some good cost savings to be had for sure. <laughs> I'm going to dive a little deep into the weeds on the the survey, specifically related to the Craigleith area. There's a lot of you know growth and development. And you know as you said, a lot of these plans have been on the books for a long time. And there's some, we've kind of termed them as gaps in the area, whether that's trails, sidewalks, safe crossings, green space. It was interesting. You had a stat in the survey that showed in the Craigleaf area, 75% of people were satisfied with the parks, both unprogrammed and programmed. And actually that was the one thing I read and thought, hmm, that's not what I hear. But I'm just wondering... I've heard council acknowledge that there's a need to focus on Craigleith from some of that infrastructure perspective, Craigleith Village. I'm wondering, you know, what what's your sense of what that looks like right now, and and how much of a priority it'll be in the next year or two?
1: Yeah, so in preparation of this this podcast, I had a good chance to uh, meet with uh, our director of community services, Ryan Gibbons, just to confirm that you know we're still on track with some of the plans that again 10 15 years ago were planned so you know through development that's where we've been able to acquire a lot of our parkland yeah and however as development you know it takes a while to to take place so does the assumption and and receipt of those lands and uh, we see that there's a really good opportunity to work with developers to see if we can actually get pre assumption of those lands uh, I'm a big proponent that I think people really would like have the park or the green space or the trails established before the houses are built. So again, you can be st- strategic. Do you want to live beside that park or that trail? And with the parks and trails that we have on the books, I think we're actually positioned well for a good amount of uh, acreage and of of open space. The key thing that we haven't done well over the years is being able to proactively say what's what's actually going to be there, and there's that fine line of being too presumptuous of figuring out what the demographic is going to be, but you know the ability for us to put some good infrastructure in the ground early in a development, but yet still be flexible enough to make it work and reflective of what the public needs. I think of Windfall; uh, that that's a really interesting development. That you know there there is a regional park component to that. You know, I think of the the lands uh, off of Joseph Wider that have been there for years and years and years, working with the community to figure out what do those pieces of property need to be. Craig Leith over the years, and I think it's just the demographic has changed. Those lands maybe not have weren't used 15, 20 years ago because maybe it was more of a weekend uh, sort of people coming and and enjoying their time and really not requiring a lot of the municipal
2: facilities. Mm -hmm. Day to day.
1: We acknowledge the demographic has changed so much. And, you know, even to a point where we're acknowledging now, and we did with the pe- previous council, winter snow removal on sidewalks. That's something that we're going to have to get into. I just think years ago, it wasn't a big focus because mm-hmm. when people were here, they might not have been here for a long duration and they maybe just, oh, I don't need the sidewalks done. Yeah. So uh, we brought a report uh, to council in the last term saying that here's the plans for for Craigleith for sidewalk snow removal, and we got to get there. It's, it's what the community needs.
2: Yeah. And you know, it's funny because some of those investments, they do impact other things and I think lead to efficiencies. So when the municipality started snow plowing a few of the sidewalks in this Craigleith area, mm-hmm what we observed was more people walking, not taking their cars. They have safe passage. So you're not dealing with traffic congestion. There's the environmental footprint. You have the safety issues. And there's ways where some of those investments can have like a triple bottom line or more than a single bottom line. Yeah. It's just how do you plan for it?
0: And I think too, it speaks to the importance of the town recognizing the changing composition yes. of the Craigley community with more full-time residents, you're right, it really does change their requirements and expectations. So it's it's encouraging to hear the town
2: sort of act on the recognition of that. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're tapped into it. You, you're, you're aware.
1: Well, I think the other thing too that, you know, years ago, and not to get too technical, but with developments, we always looked at a, an assumption. So where it goes from the developer to the responsibility of the town, lots of those development agreements were based on a 75% build-out. And, you know, the developer may be sitting and being responsible for those roads and sidewalks for, we've had some in the town of Blue Mountains that are 15, 16 years, where this shift of, uh, and I'm a big proponent of this to doing a two year assumption, where the town should want to assume this, it needs to be in good shape. But for the resident, it's good for the resident to, within two years, be able to have their snow plowed by. A municipal plow or a sidewalks done, and quite frankly, it's a, a lot easier for us to budget knowing that okay, it's coming sooner. Yeah, now, we're going to be assuming you know three kilometers of sidewalks.
2: And I would imagine, to your point, development pays for development. If you have that shorter time window, then you can better price those services and then make sure you get the money for it too. Yeah. Exactly.
0: Coming back to Bill Twenty Three briefly, it, we're talking about working with developers. What we'll, you know you'll be looking for from developers. Is it too early to get a sense for how Bill 23 may change your approach and working relationships with developers?
1: I think it's going to have to, just because there will be that sense of expedited process. And from a town perspective, expedited process can't jeopardize the communication. I think an expedited process actually may help communication because it'll be more fluid, more consistent, as opposed to... A developer moving forward, they communicate and then they go quiet for three or four years and then fires back up. Expedited process, I think, will be more early and often communication. Mm -hmm. So people are always in the know. I can think of a handful of developments that, you know, rightfully so. Residents, when when did we know that this was going to happen? And you look back and say, well, yeah, that public meeting was five years ago,
2: right? Well, they didn't live here five years ago. That's right. So might as well have never happened, right? (laughs) Exactly. So.
1: Even though people may be a little bit concerned about, well, you don't want it to go too fast. There's that fine line, but you want it to be continuous. So that way, they're successful and you actually are disturbed less. Because at the end of the day, like, you know, I think of the Thornberry area. Uh, one thing that we're we're going to be focusing on trying to help people understand is what does an infill project look like? Because we've got a number of infill projects within our Thornbury settlement area, which is the primary settlement area in Thornbury, that realistically you're supposed to fill those ones before you move into your secondary. And typically, it's the infill projects that are very concerning because they'll they'll be you know technically green space behind uh, or around somebody that all of a sudden there's movement on the development and so well, that's an infill. It's developable land. Making sure people are aware. We really rely heavily on our interpretive mapping. And uh, one thing that we're working on is, is identifying very clearly on a public accessible inter- interactive map these are all the infill projects that would be available. Oh, that's interesting.
2: Right? So you can go somewhere and see where there's potential for infill.
1: Exactly. Because infill, people don't expect it. And then all of a sudden, you get survey crews around and you know, a report comes to council. And says, Wait a minute.
2: Yeah. But when it's when you're in a compressed community like that and you see that stuff, it's just everyone starts to ask the questions. And if you don't have the answers, it's yeah. Yeah. The speed yeah. of development means the requirements for communication are that much more yes. important. I have a final question for both of you, not planning related, more experiential. The town, as you both mentioned, is great assets, great livability, and we have great experiences here. Of the town's trails, facilities, uh, experiences, what is the one or two that you think are hidden gems that people don't often think of, but they should, and they should go visit? Well, I'll start with you, Jim.
0: Probably my answer reflects some of the activities we'd love to get involved with, in particular hiking. There are so many options and great places to to go for hiking, I've been here six years, haven't done enough research myself to really, you know, find all those hidden gems. Interestingly, when our daughter comes up to visit, she's always pushing us to try, you know, some new options. So we, we get out and we do explore some different areas, but there's just so much available in that regard that being able to get out and enjoy the outdoors is obviously one of the big draws for this region. So I would say, you know, exploring and discovering more hidden gem hiking trails is probably what I would focus on. How about you, Sean?
1: Mine is a little bit more o- overarching. I think I think it's the community. It's who we are. It's the people that we have here. I'm hugely, you know, happy and excited to see a whole new sense of diversity within within our community. I think it's something that, you know, I think it's making us far better. But really, I do like the trails and you know our open space. Those I think are are things that have allowed our community to be just made of good people you know when i moved here 30 years ago uh, it always struck me just how good the people were um and as we've grown i think when people come here and see see the people and see sort of the community that we are i think it draws them and it, i think it takes a while to get used to it but uh, at the end of the day i think that's the thing i i love about our community it's it really is about the people and the generations before that have sort of set the, those roots into the ground. Yeah. Um, I think some of the big businesses that we have in our community and you still go to them and, you know, they're generational deep.
2: Yeah. And there's great stories and history. And, you know, I, I can think of a way to blend both of your recommendations together. And I, I've lived this experience myself. Often when I'm on the trails, I find the people who live in this community who use them are very To your point, Sean, very open to have a chit chat. So it's rare that I do a trail that I don't run into someone and we don't end up sitting and talking. Oh, where do you live? Where are you from? What's your favorite trail? And I think you're right. Talking to people from the community, it's a great group. People love to talk and Mm -hmm. share. So two really good examples and they kind of work together. Thanks for this time, both of you. I really appreciate the ability to sit down and especially, Sean, to get a sense from you in your role at, at this critical time in the community, you know, navigating new New counselors, keeping the projects moving forward. Uh, I think you do an exceptional job, and you're always willing to listen and share your ideas. So I thank you for that, and and Jim as well. It's always great to get your perspective on uh, you know the policy challenges, but also how do we make sure we're keeping things as uh, efficient and affordable and ratepayer focused as we can. So I really enjoy working with both of you and thanks for sharing your time with our listeners and look forward to uh, regrouping again and seeing how we're doing.
1: Awesome. Thanks very much for the invite. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks,
2: (laughs) Thanks for listening to Blue Mountain Village Voices, a production of the Blue Mountain Village Association. For more, go to BlueMountainVillage.ca. Another
1: Sound Off Media Company podcast. I'm Matt Kundle, host of the Sound Off Podcast, the show about podcast and broadcast.